All right. We are in James 1. We are up to our third Sunday in James. By way of warning, it will be 16 Sundays total to get through James. We will not do them all in a straight shot because I think if I've counted this out correctly, um, Palm Sunday and Easter get in the way, and we're taking a break from James to make sure we commemorate those days, absolutely. So you now have a, something, a total you can aim through. You can count that out if you're so inclined. And if you are, don't be so weird. It'll be all right. So, in light of our author, James, half-brother of Jesus, um, apostle-ish, disciple, leader in the Jerusalem church, faithful unto death, a martyr for the faith, in light of him, writing to, as he puts it, the twelve tribes dispersed, writing to the faithful scattered of Christ, encouraging them to do what? To bear up to stand strong, to be faithful regardless of what the world does. In light of all that, you may ask yourself a question. What if I don't? I mean, let's be honest. Is the story of the life of the faithful of the Old Testament a story of perseverance of people and and accomplishment in the face of adversity? Not even a little bit. I mean, we did this in Exodus, right? Israel marches across the Red Sea. We're hungry, we're thirsty, they get food and water, but it's not even good food, it's not even good water. I mean, God is literally cloud in the mountain, Moses has been gone for 40 days, my goodness, let's, we need to make an idol or something. I mean, yeah, I wanted Hardee's, not KFC, wah, they're four-year-olds on a road trip, now you know. The entire story of scripture is a reminder that we, when given the opportunity, Do not do a good job. Now, let's fast forward and bring this home a little bit. Christian, is your life a life story of a perseverance and accomplishment in the face of adversity, never wavering? You are a 1980 Chevy commercial, like a rock, as strong as I could be. Is that you? No. So, James is aware of your human failings. And this is why knowing who James is is so important, because let's be honest. Do you think James had some moments where he sat down with himself and had to have a talk? Because while Jesus is engaged in his ministry and performing these miracles and casting out demons and healing the sick and raising the dead, he's over there going, when are you going to stop being crazy and come home? Do you think after the resurrection he was going, oh, I messed up. Yeah, this is okay. Okay, focus here. This is the beauty of the New Testament writings coming from apostles and those that walked with Christ during his life because it is a testimony of those who desperately understand mercy and grace poured out in their lives. Therefore, you ask the question because you're wondering. They already wondered. Therefore, they are answering the question. So you've been told, bear up, no matter what the world may throw at you. And you're going, but, 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 that's okay. James has anticipated that, and that is what this section will seek to answer. Ready to dive in? All right, let's go. Verse 5, we're going to get really far to start with, okay? If any of you lacks wisdom, there we go, <clears throat> excuse me, if any of you lacks wisdom, full stop. We did this last week. What's wisdom? See, this matters. 
Again, just like we talk about with our, with our trivia question each morning, do I care that you get the answer right? I mean, in a, in a short answer, yes, I, I want you to know the answer. But do I want you to stop there? No, because if you know what the answer is, but you don't know what it means or what significance it holds, what have we accomplished? I mean, as I like to put it, we put air conditioning on the bus to hell. Go us. It's a nice bus. The air conditioning's very, you know, it's a window seat. We get a great view of the hellfire and brimstone. But in the grand scheme of things, what's the point? Same thing here. If you lack wisdom, full stop, I don't care what you know. I care that you know what to do about it. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. They work together. They go hand in hand. But I don't want you to stop at knowledge. I want you to attain to wisdom. Do you know what else wants you to attain to wisdom? Well, that would be who else? Your Bible. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs will go on later on, chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Take a minute here. This is important. In order to be wise in the world, you must start with what idea? And this is specific, so don't just tell me God. Because <laughs> I just read it. In order to be wise in the world, you must start with the idea that God's judgment abides upon sin. Failure to understand that is going to be failure to put most of human life into perspective. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We've done this before. Let's do it again. You ready? This is fun. My little, my little pointer guy that, you know, gets used for all of our object lessons. If I drop this, what will happen? Why? Wrong answer. <laughs> See, you all said it. It'll fall because of gravity. What is gravity? Why is gravity? See, I ask this question because if you're a physics person, do you know what the answer to that actually is? I don't know. Go, I'm serious. Go ask a physicist, why is gravity? You know what they'll tell you? I mean, they'll give you like this long equation and, and like chapters in these books, but you know what those books actually summarize? We think it's because bigger stuff has more pull. See, anytime a definition includes the word that you're trying to define, your definition is no good. So like, if somebody asks you, what's evil? Well, it's when people do evil things. That doesn't help me any. So what's gravity? It's pulling towards the center. Well, how does it work? Well, because bigger things pull towards the center, smaller things. Okay, but how? The answer is we don't really know. Now, this is why I asked this question. In a world run by God, ordained by his will, in which gravity exists, don't ask me how, and nor do I really care, every time I drop this, what will happen? It will fall. If, going out on a big limb here, if this is not a world run by God, ordained by his will, organized according to his principles, then there is a chance that at some point what will happen? I will let this go and it will do what? Why? Because there's no foundational reason for constancy. I know I'm trying to have a big concept conversation right now, but it's important. 
Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If I do not start with the omnipotent, omnipresent God of creation, I have to, by definition, start with a lesser, what would be called transient thing. Something that is not stable, that is not anchored, that is not beyond and above us, that by definition would not be eternal, which means it doesn't actually have standing to be the thing upon which everything else is based. It becomes, as Ecclesiastes would put it, vanity, striving after the wind. I have to start with God. If I do not start with God, I'm starting with the lesser thing. I'm starting with a broken thing. This is where our understanding of the entirety of Scripture is so important. What does sin corrupt? How deeply? Completely, right? Which means, now, now apply that knowledge beyond this. If I start with something other than God, I have started with what? Something that is corrupted totally by sin. It is no longer a good standard. It is no longer any standard worth following. If any of you lacks wisdom... Starting in God, understanding that his wrath abides upon sin and that knowing his work will lead me to understand the universe and the world that he has created. Why is that important? Because Christian, I've said this before, I will say it again, you must think. You have to. You, it is a requirement of the faith. Romans 12. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. How do I do that? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, you must go out into the world and be confronted with things and evaluate them to determine whether or not they are good, bad, or ugly. Just making sure you're still awake with me. Okay. Sorry. You ha- By the way, fun trivia note, that's an actual person making that sound. It's not a musical instrument. Go, go look up the videos. There's a choir that actually does that. Just completely unrelated to everything, but just fun. Fun to see on YouTube when you're bored later. Uh, it's actually a person making that sound with their mouth in that, in that Sergio Leone Composition, yeah, it's not, an, it's not an instrument, it's an actual person. But anyway, you have to evaluate all the things of life because you have to bring your life into alignment with godliness. To fail to do so is to just... <laughs> We're going for a walk in the wilderness and who knows what will happen. All right, time out. In scripture, is a walk in the wilderness ever good? No, 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 it's never a good thing. Do you wish to walk into the wilderness? No, which means you must read the sign and know which way is the wilderness and which way is the path that Christ has blazed. Therefore, you must evaluate, or as Matthew 7 puts it, you must make your judgments upon the right standard. The right standard is what? Christ. The starting point is God, grounded in wisdom, built upon the knowledge of who he is, what he has done, and what he has done about what we have done wrong. These things matter. So, knocking my stuff over. If you don't do this, if you just willy-nilly through life, as I've said before, there be dragons. We talked about this several weeks ago with our driving analogy. Would you, would you get into the car with me behind the driver's seat, put me behind the wheel, would you sit in the passenger seat while I drive blindfolded? Why not? I'm an excellent driver. I'm suddenly quoting Rain Man now. 
Really, I'm an excellent driver, excellent driver. 20 minutes to Wapner. Why, why not? Why would you not sit in the passenger seat at all? Because I don't know where I'm going. I can't see what's in front of me. In order for me to drive in traffic, you would prefer what? That I actually see where the road is, see where the other cars are, see where the potholes are, see where buildings are, you know. Avoid the things of life. We constantly compare the Christian sanctification walk to driving because it worked so well. Would you walk the narrow road, attaining to the narrow gate with eyes focused on Christ blindfolded? No, that just sounds dumb. What's the rule? Don't do dumb things. So the minute we say something is dumb, we stop. We don't do that thing anymore. We look with our eyes open. Now, here's the thing. Does the world just walk up to you and be like, ooh, look, shiny evil sin. Don't you want to do it? Look, look, evil, evil, send you to hell. Doesn't this look nice? Is that how it's packaged? No, how is it packaged? Did God really say? Is it really that bad? Is it always such a terrible thing? Is it really such a big deal? And the answer to that is, of course, what? Yes. Yes, it is. Failure to do these evaluations will lead to a life that is wrought with danger and one that is not grounded upon Christ. In other words, it is a life that is just, you know, tossed here, thither, and yon, as if like a ship without an anchor or, you know, one that's sail has been destroyed. We cannot do that. So we need wisdom to understand our world in two ways. One in the general sense, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If you want to make sense of this planet, if you want to make sense of the universe, you have to understand that it comes from and originates with God. But in the specific sense, we need to be able to evaluate the things in this world. 1 Corinthians 1. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Remember, the bug in the jar will never understand the boy who put him there. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. When the world confronts you with sin, what is your answer? <laughs> no, you burn your sin with fire, not their sin with fire. They have to burn their sin with fire. It's a difference. Can you argue them into the kingdom? Can you convince them into the kingdom? You preach Christ and him crucified. Now, does that mean there is no place for answering objections? No, I didn't say that. But when confronted with the pagan world, when confronted with the arguments of sin and the, what's, what would be the good description? The stubbornness of it. The cure is not your rhetorical crowbar prying salvation into them. It is the work of the Holy Spirit based on the preaching of Christ. His work, not ours. The work of apologetics too often is done as a means of evangelism. It's not. Apologetics is for you guys. Defending the faith is for you to confirm that the questions have been answered, to confirm that the challenges have been met, to strengthen your hope and your trust and to give you a foundation. What gets you there is not those answers. 
It is Christ in his work, the proclamation of his gospel. That's the baseline that we have to carry out. Now, this is why I always tell you guys, whenever we come up with something in the text that there's some debate upon, what do we try to do? Try to give you the answer. We try to slow down and go over it because I want you to know what? That the answer exists even if you don't remember it. Why do I not always care if you remember the specific answer? Because the more important thing that you carry out into the world is the understanding that Christ has died and been raised. That what got you here is what keeps you here, what will change their heart and mind. This is the starting point for all the work that we do. That's why, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, time out again. Is there any qualifier there? Did, did James hedge any bets? The answer is no. Why not? The Bible does hedge bets in other places. 1 John 5. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. See, John gave you a qualifier. You'll get everything you ask for on what condition? You ask according to his will. Why does that matter? This should be really simple in our modern world. This should refute a lot of really bad teaching. That's why I joked a minute ago when I said I don't have that kind of power. I can't speak it into existence because there's an entire branch of Christianity that would tell you what. And you know what I should, let me rephrase that. There's an entire branch of Christianity. Can I, can, okay, is that better? Yeah, yeah, throw the air quotes up there. That thinks that you can. Why not? What's the beginning of wisdom, Christian? What's the beginning of knowledge? Understanding of the Holy One. In other words, starting with him and working out, not starting with us and working back up. He creates, we apply. He instructs, we learn. He tells, we put into practice. Never the other way around. The reason why John gives you that qualification is John wants to make sure you are grounded in your understanding of how this universe works. James is not giving you a qualification here because who is he speaking to? I told you, understanding our author and the recipients is going to matter. Who is James speaking to? He's speaking to believers. The 12 tribes dispersed, which is who? All of us. He is speaking to the faithful believers. What does God desire for his people? This is the will of God, your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4. That is, that you abstain from sexual, immor sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctuary. sanctuary if I could read, would be all set. In sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of immaturity or impurity, but in sanctification. Again, I can't read. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. Why? Because this is the gift to his children. This is what God desires of his people. God does not save you, set you upon a path and go, have fun. We'll see ya. Let me know if you need any problems. I gave you a phone somewhere. It's in your bag someplace. Call me if you get lost. Is that how sanctification works? No. We talked about this. All right. Big theology words. You ready? Paying attention? Salvation is what we call a monergistic work. It has one direction and origination. What do you contribute to your salvation? Nothing. God saves sinners. 
You bring sin, God brings redemption. That's not exactly a fair trade-off, is it? No. Sanctification is a synergistic word, or synergistic work. It is a cooperative endeavor. You working with the Holy Spirit. This is what, what's my analogy that I always give you. I always pick on that footprints in the sand thing. Yeah, because we get drag marks, right? It's, it's not so much sometimes that you're, look, are there times when you're carried along? Yes. Are there times when you're drug along kicking and screaming? Also, yes. This is probably more often than we'd like to admit. That's why Hebrews 12 is so important, because it reminds you of the discipline of God, that, that little step in. Okay, okay, I'm getting up, I'm getting up. Hang on, all right, we're good, we're good. All right, let's keep walking. Sanctification is a synergistic work. The Holy Spirit brings discipline. The Holy Spirit brings instruction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. And you go, that's probably not where I'm supposed to be. I need to kill that sin with fire. And therefore, it is gone, and now I can walk. And then what's going to happen eventually? The Holy Spirit's going to bring something else to your remembrance. He will bring conviction with it. He will bring instruction. And you will do the same thing over and over again. James gives you no qualifier here because in order to do that, you have to have what? Wisdom and knowledge starting with God. This is a gift of God, a work that he is doing in his children, an accomplishment that he is bringing forth. That's why he can say, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the promise every single time. You are partially ready and almost equipped, right? Isn't that how the Bible verse goes? (laughs) for all scripture is God-breathed, so the man of God is equipped and adequate for every good work. That's the Bad Reader's Digest translation, 2 Timothy 3. You are totally prepared. He who began a work will bring it to the day of completion. This is the promise. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Later on in John 10, you come to Christ. The Father has brought you. You are secure in him. You are held in the hand of God who pries you out. No one. The good shepherd loses how many of his sheep? None. So you're in. You're secure. He will give wisdom if you trust in him. He will give to those who, who request. But now there's a question. How do you know that you're in? James has anticipated that objection as well. Let's go to verse 6. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. Oh, we were so close. So everyone who doubts is evil, right? Is that what James just told you? No. James has told you to approach God how? In faith. Why? Because we're talking about the fruits of salvation, the work of sanctification that is brought in. Luke 9, Jesus said to them, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Why not? This is an understanding of the work of salvation based on most of what I've already explained to you. This is where, this is where we start to make our application. If you have understood everything that we've just explained about what it means to come to Christ in salvation and faith and to walk in sanctification, what are you not going to do? You 
hang on, let's, let's, let's do it this way. Let's borrow our Luke 9 analogy, you ready? So, God has redeemed me, he has pulled me from the pit, he has scrubbed me clean, called me righteous in the kingdom that we are now progressing towards, he has set me upon the king's highway, as Pilgrim's Progress puts it, and I am walking to the celestial city. So I am doing this, I know where I am going, I know why I am going, at what point would I like to go get back in the swamp? Yeah, but it's like, right? Now, you should. Does that mean I'm never falling over? But do I want to get back in the swamp? This is why anybody who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not fit for the kingdom. If you are capable of seeing the good work of Christ, knowing where we are going, and being like, but that swamp was so much fun. It was so awesome and grimy and and yuck, and there's stuff in between my toes, and yeah, wasn't that awesome? If you've never fallen into a swamp, don't, don't, don't do it. I, I, I have. It's, oh my goodness. For a school trip, when I was a senior in high school, we took a trip to the Rachel Carson Estuary on the southeastern coast of North Carolina and got to parade around collecting oysters and crabs and soil samples. And at one point, it was in its brackish water, so it's tidal, where the ocean and the sound comes in and out, but it's also river. So there's parts where you're walking and it's nice and firm, and then all of a sudden it's not anymore and it's mud up to your thighs. You can't get that smell out. Like you go, we went back to the hotel and took a shower, and I'm like, what is that? Oh, that's us. My goodness. Okay, back to the showers, everyone. You can't get it off. No, once we got out of the out of the mud, you think we were like, hey, let's go walk back in the swamp now that we don't stink anymore. No, because we didn't want to do what? We don't want to smell like that again. Christian, you don't want to get back in the swamp. Now, you may find yourself back in the swamp on occasion. What do you do? This is where the Holy Spirit starts dragging again. Repent of your sins, trust in the work of Christ, for that too Christ has died, and get back on the path. If you are capable of saying, ooh, pretty swamp, lovely swamp, I would like to get back into the swamp, then you don't actually understand the road that you're on, where you're going, and why you are there. You also don't have any guardrails. Why in the midst of you falling into the swamp did you wake up one day and realize, hey, I'm back in the swamp? Because the Holy Spirit, who has not forgotten you nor forsaken you, went, hey, dude, wake up, look around. Is this where you want to be? And the answer is no. So if you can climb back in the swamp, it's because nobody stopped you. Nobody warned you. No one corrected you. The discipline of God was not upon you, which means he has left you to your own devices. Does God do that for the children that he loves? I mean, would you take your kids to, like, Beirut and just turn them loose? <laughs> this depends on the day. Don't let Vern babysit, I think, is what we just learned. <laughs> I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm using, I mean, would you like to drop your kids off in the middle of a rock and be like, hey, have fun, you know, we'll figure it out later, I'll pick you up around, you know. Like, <laughs> exactly. You know, you're paying attention. Why not? Because you love them and you care about them and you're worried about what happens to them. Um, here's, here's a dumb thing I'll say today. You ready? Sin is worse than Middle Eastern tribal conflict. Can we, can we agree to that? Like, turning you loose with your sin is worse than turning your kids loose in the middle of Baghdad during a bombing run. Okay? If, if you wouldn't do that for your kids, God doesn't do that for his either because he loves and cares for them. Therefore, if he is letting you run free in your sin and run around like unsupervised children, then there's probably something deeper that is being said. That's 
what coming to God in faith means. That's why the doubting is such a big deal. You're not, I don't mean doubting as in, I wonder what God is doing in my life. I mean, I wonder if God really loves me. Once again, I'm going to say it like this. If you're worried about what God thinks about you, you do you know what that tells me about you? That's a good thing, that someone is at work in your life because rank pagans who don't care about their sin, you know what they don't care about? Whether or not God is upset with them that day. The fact that you're worried is a good sign. Now, why is this important? For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Hmm. We used an analogy like this just a few minutes ago, didn't we? This is an understanding of the work that faith brings. This is an understanding of the grounding in the kingdom. Paul echoes this idea, Ephesians 4. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, so let's time out real fast. The Holy Spirit has gifted the people in the body of Christ to mature and disciple the members of the body of Christ. Why? So that they will grow in godliness, be carried along to the point of sanctification. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Fun, fun story. I read that and I always think of one thing. When I was a kid, we, um, I'm from Connecticut. I, my grandparents retired to, um, to North Carolina, built this nice little house on a man-made lake. It was lovely. And so we would come visit when I was young twi- uh, for two weeks a year. That was my parents' vacation. They would take one week and spend it with my grandparents, and then we'd take one week and spend it on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. My, my parents, for some odd reason, just loved Nags Head, Kill Devil Hills area. Next time there's a hurricane going towards North Carolina, that spot when they're all camped out, that's where we used to go. And like I said, I was, so you're talking when I'm six, seven, eight, and my father for years, probably still does actually, has a, um, has a weird limp in his leg, and it's my fault, because we were playing around in the water, which is probably about, you know, knee deep, thigh deep for my dad, so for me at the time, you know, it's like, it's like waist mid chest, and I got caught in an undertow, and I remember my feet went out, and I hit the bottom, and did you try to stand up? And what happens is the undertow pulls you out and the next wave hits. So when you right about the point you think you're going to get your feet underneath you, the next wave hits you, and then the undertow from that one goes, and you start to feel yourself going the wrong direction. Well, because I'm this big, guess what that did to me? I'm in the washing machine. Well, my father's six feet tall and 200 pounds. He's standing there, and I remember the yank. And I didn't feel it, but my dad felt it because when I went under and started to, to wash, he grabbed me and pulled me back. And my head hit his knee, put a big old knot on it for weeks, probably tore a ligament in there. That's what it looks like to be children in the sea. No foundation, no strength. What was I going to do about that? Nothing. I needed what? I need something strong. I need something anchored, something that understands and explains the world. This is why wisdom is so important, to start with God and move forward. Because otherwise, you don't have an anchor. You are just in the washing machine. That's what Paul's warning about. So speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. See, because here's the other part of this. That anchor isn't just so, hey, look, you made it out alive. Good job. Now what? Now plant yourself and be anchored so that the next person has an anchor and the next person and the next person. How many of you are into the kingdom because God descended from on high and appeared to you and went, hi, I am, as the evangelist on TV, I am God, believe upon me, me, me. Anybody? Okay, just making sure. <laughs> if it has happened, whatever you had for dinner that night before, never eat it again, okay? Just making sure. You're in the kingdom because of what? A faithful saint before you that proclaimed Christ and discipled you and carried you forward. The people that come after you will be in the kingdom because of what? The work that you have done in proclaiming. In other words, just as you followed the anchor, they are now following the anchor as it is built in for the building up of who? The whole body of Christ. This is how the kingdom works. This is what we always talk about. Where's your first ministry? At home. And that homework begins with who? Me. For you, it begins with you. Because in this analogy, you're always me, right? Does that make sense? You confused yet? Okay, good. Your spouse, your children, your neighbors, however that works, grandkids, nieces, nephews, those little small circles, if we all take care of that, then how strong is our body when we come together? Now we can build up one another, dealing with the things and the issues of the world and the sins as they crop up. And what happens now? Now our body is strengthened. Now our community is strengthened. And these, as, as I always talk about, these little circles, this is how they work themselves out. It starts with each individual disciple doing the work, being grounded, being built up by the work of Christ. This is what James is talking about. Ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That's not supposed to be the Christian. That is not supposed to be what we're doing and how we're living in the world. We know why we're doing this. Because God is spurring. We know what is being accomplished, our sanctification. We know what the good news is. It is the message of Christ and Him crucified. We know what has changed our hearts and our minds, and therefore we can proclaim it to a lost and dying world. We don't have to know a whole lot else, do we? in order to change hearts and minds. This is the encouragement that I'm trying to give you because this is the encouragement of your New Testament. We are not wise. God is. And we have standing and we have wisdom only as we stand in him. I've told you this before. That's why all of the little references that I make, well, I can't say all of them because sometimes I think of some during the service, but all the ones that are planned out ahead of time are in your bulletin. Why? so that you can check. And I've told you this, the minute I start contorting and twisting the Bible, what should you do? Run. You should run how? No. There it is, my wife remembers. Hey, my wife listened to something that I said. <laughs> you should run screaming from the room. Why? Because when you get up and run out screaming, what will everyone else do? Now, if you're not going to do that, what's the other thing I've given you permission to do when I do that? Throw things at me. That's what you should do. This is when the pitchforks and torches. Denny's like, I remember that part. <laughs> 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 
So the minute someone gets up and runs screaming from the room, the rest of you should be grabbing hymnals, Bibles, or whatever, and chucking them at me. Because you shouldn't tolerate it. I have no authority. Let's be honest. How many times have, why do I tell you to pray for my wife? And how do I always tell you that? You don't want to say it because you're trying to be nice. I appreciate that. I tell you all the time, pray for my wife. She's married to an idiot. I tell you that all the time. Because I know me. I'm not good. I'm not wise in this world in and of myself. I have no authority and no standing to tell you to do anything outside of the authority that is vested by the gospel of Christ. Which means the minute we get to something else other than gospel proclamation, we are on dangerous, dangerous ground. And you should not follow unless you can verify that the information is good. Which would start with what? An understanding of who God is, what he has done, and how what I am saying lines up with all of those things. The minute we start getting to, here are 27 ways to fix your love life. Here are 37 ways to have a better marriage. Look, you probably would love that and probably be like, ooh, I can get my little checklist. You want to know how to fix your marriage? Love God. Treat your spouse the way that Paul commands in Ephesians 5 and have fun. Yeah, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Be like, 17 ways to be a more productive coworker. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10. That's Colossians 3. There's, there's two. I, don't, I haven't got 15 more. What are those? Go to work unto the glory of God. Live your life as an offering unto Christ in everything that you are and all that you do. And most of the other things that you're worried about as problems will work themselves out because you are in the right starting place. You are grounded in the fear of God and, and his wrath poured out against sin, and you understand the mercies and grace of Christ applied in your life. Do that. Everything else starts to fall into place. This is a reminder. The minute we're on something else, the minute we say, well, you know, the neurons and the protons are firing in your brain and they're doing it. Run. Run, 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 run. Screaming, throwing things. Always remember those two things. They go together. Now, if you can run screaming and throwing things, then you're like extra. You can carry people with you. It's helpful. Without Christ, we have no foundation. Without the gospel, we have no anchor. We are just spin cycle. Going nowhere. The minute we get off of biblical grounding, we are in trouble. This is again why I've told you, even if you don't have like the specific one, start looking. What in your life should you be unable to ground in scripture? What's my favorite question to ask you about the things that you do? Why? I care why, because I want to hear a biblical grounding. I want to hear a biblical basis. I want to hear, what does this thing accomplish, and how is it glorifying God? If you can't justify how you are glorifying God with X, Y, or Z in your life, you know what you need to do with X, Y, or Z? Kill it. How? How? Kill it with fire, right? That's, it's got to go. I keep forgetting to bring the spear. And one of these days, You guys got to remind me during the week to bring the spear, because it's, it's a worthwhile laugh. I better, maybe I shouldn't. That might, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah you got to remind me. She'd forget too. This, any t- the minute you find the things in your life that you can't explain in ground in Scripture, you have found the next area of sin that the Holy Spirit's been like, I've been pointing at that for like 12 weeks. Where have you been? What have you been looking at? Well, okay, now that you see it, can we kill this together? Because this is what God wishes to do. What's his will, what's his will for your life? Your sanctification. So let's continue. 
tossed by the sea, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Well, why not? James continues, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. How many types of people in the world? Two, right? You got believers and non-believers. Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, are there people who believe and don't believe at the same time? <laughs> Maybe. I can actually find one in the Bible. I've always told you that unintentional comedy is the best comedy, especially in Scripture. And one of my favorite Bible verses is Mark 9. So Jesus has just gone up the mountain for the transfiguration. He has come down the mountain, and they brought the boy to him. Remember, there's this father who has the boy who's demon-possessed, and the, and the disciples can't do anything about it. So they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Demon's just trying to show off now, isn't he? Oh, look, Messiah's here. Let's do something crazy. <laughs> Probably. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. It is often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. What's the problem with that question? <laughs> yeah. And Jesus said to him, if you can. Yeah, I, always try, I, always, I always struggle with how to read this. I tell you to do this when you read your Bible. If you, if you ever get into a, like a rut reading your Bible, then stop just reading it. Read it like you would to children. Remember, like, remember when your parents used to read you good stories to your elementary school teachers and they do all the voices and they put the inflection? If you ever get bogged down in your Bible reading, take a minute and do that. I'm, I'm serious. When someone says, and he cried out with a loud voice... Read it like you're crying out with a loud voice. When there's an exclamation point, read it like there's some oomph to it. You know, do the different voices. It makes it come alive a little bit. I struggle with that one. Because let's be honest, if you or I were God, how would you have said that? If. If. Yes. You know, if you, if you were making that movie, it'd be like, if you can, lightning strike, you know, sheep and cows are running for their lives, you know, dark clouds are... I don't think that's how he said it, though. Because that's how we would have said it, because we'd been like, who do you think? Do you... We would have turned into a drunk celebrity at four o'clock in the morning. Do you know who I am? Because every, every drunk celebrity at 4 o'clock in the morning pulled over to police has uttered that phrase, haven't they? You read every police report, it's like, and then they ask the officer, Do you, it's like universal. And the answer to that question is always what? No. Because <laughs> if you've ever seen mugshots of celebrities, you're like, I know who that is. And I'm looking at their picture and I don't know who that is. I don't think he said it like that. I think it was an actual question. Back to the man. Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I believe! Help my unbelief! <laughs> Pick one man! Is he God in flesh, capable of commanding demons and saving your son, or isn't he? Because if he is, then how should we be approaching this? Without doubting. If he isn't, then should we be approaching this at all? No, not even a little bit. 
Sorry, there's one eyelash in my eye that's trying to, and I can't scratch that side because I'm smacking the microphone. There we go. Now, let's solve your, one of your Bible conundrums. Because Jesus has, has this father who is double-minded and unstable, and is he going to help him? Yes. But James just told you that if you're unstable and double-minded, will you receive help? No. Well, which one is it? Can I be unstable and double-minded or not? Some of you are going, don't look and don't ask my wife. But <laughs> yeah, Sorry, bad joke. What separates us from the Father? Knowledge and wisdom. What do you know? John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Colossians 1, 5, uh, 1, 15 through 17. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, and I'm sorry, I just lost my place. For, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. Did the father of the boy know that? No. He guessed it. He assumed it. He hoped it. But did he know it? No. Christian, what do you know? What do you know? Say this again. I don't care what you feel. I don't care how you feel. I don't want you to be sad or upset. But at the end of the day, it is much more important to me that what you know be correct than you to be guided by a good feeling. Being guided by your feelings is a surefire way to lead yourself to shipwreck because your anchor will be planted where? <laughs> and that's a technical term because it's not anywhere good but I want you to live based on what you know this is again why the entirety of scripture is so important because you see the garden good and perfect and you see humanity holy and righteous and upright and you see us do what the second we get a chance to make a choice <laughs> and just before just make sure we don't throw anybody under the bus if you were Adam and Eve you know what you'd have done You'd eaten the fruit too. You're not better than they are. You just have an iPhone, and that probably makes you worse than them in most instances. Now, carry forward. What do you see? You see God promising redemption. You see God accomplishing that redemption. You see God organizing, orchestrating, directing, accomplishing all of these things in all of these nations down through all of these years, calling a man who's an idolater, promising him a nation and a land, and then working in spite of that man to fulfill all his promises. You see the preservation of a family leading to the preservation of a nation, to the preservation of a kingdom, to the preservation of a family line so that you would receive the blessings of Christ. Why? Because God promised them. And he is faithful to deliver what he has promised. Christian! You know this. You know it. Therefore, live as a child of God. Did I tell you you'd be perfect? No. Do I expect you to be perfect? Yes. No. 
<laughs> It'd be nice, but I know better. Because I know what sin corrupts, and I know who sin corrupts. So that's why I tell you, if it, I'll tell you, new one, new rule, you ready? You ever tell me about your sin, and I have the audacity to act shocked, you get to smack me. Fair deal? Because you know what I shouldn't be shocked by? Evil. Because it's in me, and it's in you, and it's in our children, and it's in our neighbors, and it's everywhere we go. It corrupts the weather, and it corrupts the news, and it corrupts the way that I walk, and the way that I think. It corrupts everything. Everything. But I know that God is at work, and I know that he has not forsaken or forgotten. Therefore, I walk how? In faith. 2 Corinthians 4. Do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I walk faithfully, knowing that this isn't the goal. This isn't the home. The kingdom is. And I walk hopefully. Philippians 3. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And even more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. In other words, I will walk as he has walked, trust in what he has proclaimed, no matter what may befall me. In other words, because of what I know, the wisdom that I have from God, I can walk faithfully and persevere in this world. It's almost like all of these apostles are giving us the same message. Who'd have thunk that idea? Because this is the work that God is trying to accomplish in his people. This is the message that he is trying to get across. Because James has been changed, he can encourage a people that has been changed. He can encourage them to confront a world that hates them and seeks to persecute and destroy them because they know who God is. And because they know they can trust and be faithful because they are secure in his promises because God has secured them. And they do not worry or fear because of who God is and what he has done. So we can live by faith in hope that God will accomplish all that he's promised because he has been faithful to all of the promises he has laid down before. We can proclaim his death until the day he comes because we have seen the fruit of it in our lives and in the lives of those around us. This is, again, one of the beauties of the church and one of the blessings is that we can see that he saved you. Because <laughs> be honest, you've said that about somebody at some point. And you know what else? Somebody else has said it about you. And you know what the answer should be? Yup. <laughs> he saved a scoundrel that's rotten like me. Praise be to God. 
because his loving kindness is everlasting and his work is good. So I can trust and I can walk because I can have wisdom and I can evaluate the things of this world based on the word that he has given to me because I know that what he has provided is good because he is good based on all the work that he has done, all that he has accomplished, and I don't have to fear. Because as we mentioned last week, even though I don't always like the things that he sends my way in this world, they are for my good and for his glory. Why? Because he still sits on his throne and he is still in charge of his universe, which is why if we drop this, what's going to happen? It's going to fall because that is who God is and what he has promised and that is how he has arranged and he has not changed and his work has not changed. But because of that, I have changed. So I can trust and I can evaluate and I can stand faithfully. Let's pray.